G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Today my guest is Mark Johnston, author of two books, Marked by Mercy and Renovation. It's got an incredible story of being set free from addiction after a life of abuse and crime and now helping others get out of that kind of life. It's great to have you with us, Mark. How are you doing, buddy? I'm very well, Matt. Thank you. Now, mate, let's find out a bit of your story. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Wilkenya, which is a little Aboriginal town in the rural outback of New South Wales. Out uh, past kind of Broken Hill Way? Yeah, yep. and that's where I grew up uh, mainly most of my life. It was in Broken Hill, yeah. Okay, and uh, what was your uh, family upbringing like? Did you have like a religious upbringing at all? Nah, far from. Uh, yeah, well, some people call the pub a um, church, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, I was brought up around pubs and country music and... Um, you know, drug addicts and dealers and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, far from God. Okay, a pretty uh, rough upbringing by the sounds of things. And uh, what about school? How did you go at school? School was not happening for me. Um, <laughs> for me, it was almost like I I made a circus out of school. Mm. I thought school was just there to have fun. So when it came to class time, I just shut off and I just paid on paid out on people and ran amok. Mm, okay. And what about uh, your addictions? Uh, what, what age did you start experimenting and, and getting into this stuff? I think I started um, croning, which is inhale, inhaling aerosol cans at a very young age, I reckon 11 or 12. Mm. I actually left my body uh, at the back of my nana's in a caravan and I was no different outside of my body uh, than inside my body. Wow. And I just said to myself when I was outside of my body, what are you doing sitting down there? Wow. And I didn't realize that I actually had left my body. Wow. So that was inhaling aerosol cans. Mm. And so marijuana, I think I had my first hash cone when I was about 12 maybe. And I think I had acid at 13, 14, not sure. Okay. And you got involved in crime at a young age as well? Yeah, I was... My stepfather was in and out of prison. So a lot of his mates were criminals and dealers. So... You know, I'd go around to visit him and he would just, you know, say, you like those shoes and just give them to me. Mm. Or he'd give me clothes or he'd say, you like this bike. You'd just hand me things all the time. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't a big fan on stealing, but when the addiction got stronger, stealing was definitely my number one option. Mm. It, you know, the addiction drove me to get whatever I could whenever I could. And then at one stage you had an encounter with a wizard and occult practices. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, well, look, I um, I knew the Bible says the way of the backslider is hard. And I thought, okay, if it's going to be hard walking away from God, I'm going to get on high drugs. So I did. I decided to get on ice. And uh, I ended up in Sydney making a balaclava out of my hooded jumper. I turned it back to front and put it over my head and tied it off. And I was on the street with a hammer. Long story short, I ended up back in my hometown, and a friend of mine uh, was a full-fledged wizard. He was a sorcerer. He um, Basically, I went back to his house, and he was talking about cooking meth. 
And I thought, I wanted to learn how to cook meth. So I got down on my knees and I literally surrendered to him and said, please teach me how to cook meth. And while this was taking place, I didn't sort of catch on at the time, but he was talking to a glass mannequin head as though it was his grandfather. So he was having conversations while I'm talking with him. And I noticed, too, he had an altar in his house. Now, the part that really got me was one day he brought in a wooden box of my life, like a little wooden model. And it had trees and little pathways and little hills and it had a little cross. And he was describing and explaining to me how I was going to live my life and how I was going to die. I didn't realize what I invited into my life because evil escalated uh, in my addiction more than what it ever has in a very short period of time. Uh, I was hearing conversations. Literally, people would be sitting in front of me and I would hear them talking about me right in front of me. I'd hear voices through the wall and I could not get this guy out of my head. Um, it was only six months into recovery. I was plagued in my thinking with drug addiction. The thought or the mention of his name brought me fear. That's how powerful it was. And I had a dream one night. And in this dream, he was stirring a pot at the sink. He turns around, comes towards me, and it blows up in his face. And ever since that day, I was set free from wow. the actual addiction over my soul. In this section, I asked Mark to share a bit about how he came to know the Lord. The part, like I, I gave my heart to the Lord in a gym, but where I decided that I was willing to give him everything, I remember being in a church service and um, people were really encouraging me to get involved and be a part of it. And to be honest with you, I really struggled with church. Um, I wasn't really getting into it, but I had this one night I was worshipping in church and as I'm worshipping, I actually have for the first time ever an open vision. And I see myself on this big podium and I was preaching in front of thousands, innumerable heads uh, of South African dark looking people. And ever since that time, God placed a, a, a passion inside of me. I knew that I was called to be a minister of the gospel. But I think the defining moment for me, uh, because I wasn't a big reader, I hated reading. I'd read porn mags, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd read anything that would pleasure me temporarily crime, whatever, but I'd never read. I didn't like it. So this guy was preaching the word of God to me. He, he, he fried himself on the drugs and they said, go and talk to him. We've had enough of you. You know, you don't want to go to church. You don't want to go to this. You don't want to. And I'm like, yeah, I'm over all this crap, mate. I'm going bored because you're laying your hands on me that many times. <laughs> so I went to the sink and he turned around and he said, Mark, John 3, 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And he said, John 3, 5, no one can enter unless he's born in water and spirit. And then he quoted John 3, 16 to me. He said, Mark, God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son. And he, as he continued this, something inside of me went, I want what that guy has got. Mm. I wrote home. I opened my book, my Bible, to the book of Palms. Nah, I'm only joking. <laughs> it was the book of Psalms. I actually <laughs> thought it was the book of Palms. And uh, chapter 72, verse 14, and I had an encounter that absolutely rocked me to the core of my being. I had a face. I felt a face stare at me through the Bible and speak the very words face to face to me. And he said, I'm going to rescue you from oppression, violence, and fraud because your blood is precious in my sight. And I picked up that Bible, and I have read that Bible like I have more than what I've taken drugs. Just mm. to say, and I, was, and I was bad on the drugs. Mm. That is a great conversion story. And uh, let's also include a, as a part of your uh, conversion the Transformations drug rehab experience. Mm. So uh, Mike Barrett and the team at Transformations do a great job. There's a whole bunch of rehabs that they run around the place. 
Tell us what it was like when you first went into transformations to get off the gear. Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, my book, Mark by Mercy, is getting revised right now. And a part of that process was, you know, when I first went to the airport, I didn't know what I was in for. I thought I was just going to a, to a place to stay, drink coffee, you know, they sit around smoking cigarettes. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm just going to get counselling. They're going to be, you know, wishy-washy Christians and be all nice and be caretakers for me because I've been in mental wards. I've been to rehabs before. I know what it's all about. Yeah. And uh, the guy rocked up and uh, picks me up from the airport and I walk down. I go, oh, here we go. And uh, we hop in this bus and... I'm thinking, where the heck are they taking me? You know, that bull tie on the front, and I was just like, what the heck is this joint? <laughs> so I rocked up, and they done my what they call initial assessment. And I'm thinking, I should be interviewing this guy. He still doesn't look like he's sorted himself out. What's he doing interviewing me? I'm thinking, what the heck is this joint? So I rocked up in this house, and next to me, you've got this pit bull looking dog coming at me at the fence, and I'm freaking out. And to be honest with you, um, it's it's it was an amazing program because it was almost like it was set up like a home, mm. and it was completely opposite to what I ever expected. Um, because I got consequences for every decision. Where in the past you get away with it as much as you could, mm. but I was accountable for everything I'd done. So that was the game changer for me. And I wasn't at rock bottom. People say you have to be at no. You do not have to be at rock bottom. You just have to have something that motivates you more than your selfishness. And in this case, it was my mum and it was my daughter. See, when I was planning to drop people down holes and blow heads off, when I was about to take someone hostage, um, my mum didn't know that. And I went home one afternoon. I was thinking about ripping off my uh, sister's PlayStation. My mum walked into the land room, got down on her knees. And you know that scripture that says that God stoops down with his gentleness to make you great. And I actually seen God in mum, and she said to me, son, I love you. Will you change your life? And that was the game changer. I actually changed, not because I hit rock bottom, but because I could not do that to my mum, and I could not do that to my daughter. And I knew I was going to jail for a long time. And I understand that there was a time when you were able to forgive your sister and actually love her, because you and your sister used to get on pretty badly used to fight each other a lot as kids, like full-on fighting. Mm. But then there was a time when you decided just to love her and forgive her, mm. and she just couldn't handle it. <laughs> tell, tell us what happened. Yeah, well, this is the type of sister, you know. We have a punch-up inside, and uh, I end up punching her. I run out the door, paying paying out on her, and she's chucked a hammer and hit me halfway across the road right in the forehead. So, she, you know, um, me and her did not see eye to eye all the way until... She gave her heart to Christ at church and started crying. And ever since she gave her life to Christ, me and her, we are we love each other. We respect wow. each other. Um, we have a relationship today that is just beyond description. Mm. Um, she is the most beautiful person. She's actually one of my best friends. I mm. love her heaps. So, See, I think that's one of the best evidences of the power of Christ, not just that you're saved and set free from your addictions, but you can forgive your sister and, mm. and love your sister after what you've been through. Yeah. Uh, that's the power of Christ. He changes our hearts. He changes the way that we have relationships with people. Mm. Uh, so good. So let's talk a bit, a bit uh, just back to transformation. So what's the mm. practicalities of it? Do you go cold turkey? Do you read the Bible every day? Do you, do you have accountability partners? Is there programs you go through? What, what do you do? Yeah, the first two weeks is what they call initial assessment. In that initial assessment, you have to write out the rules three times. Now, mind you, I think there's 167 rules. That's a lot of rules to write out. 
But they do that to keep you focused and also to help you transition with the program because of its intensity. Mm. You need to know the program. Otherwise, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. So they do that as a safeguard. Um, also, you have the basics of conflict resolution, you know, win-win, lose-lose and win-lose and all that sort of stuff, how to deal with basic conflict. Anger management, you learn the basics about that and also coping with anxiety. And mm-hmm. you have to memorize 66 books of the Bible before you pass into stage one. And you will not go up until you've finished the 66 books. Um, so that's just the uh, the initial phase. And uh, basically when you hit stage one, you're allowed to make phone calls. Mm-hmm. People are allowed to make phone calls to the house, but they have to go through supervision. Mm-hmm. They can't just have anyone ring in the house. You're allowed to have free time and go to places. It's not like you're locked down, but you have to be home for program. If not, you get a consequence for everything. So mm-hmm. if you disrespect your leader, you get five hours. If you lie, you get, I think, five hours. Um, if you leave a cup on the sink, you get an hour. And if you have certain behaviors, you just you get a consequence plus you get assignments. Mm-hmm. So in stage one, you learn the basics about your behavior. Stage two is dealing with the deeper underlying issues, the living problems. Why do I do what I do? And so in that one, you're um, learning about um, recovery from bitterness and receiving love from God. I think you're dealing with distorted images of God, distorted images of self. Um, In stage two, you can have a night out and only by permission. You're not allowed to just have a night out. You've actually got to go through leadership. And in stage two, you're dealing with probably the deepest areas of your life. In that stage, you uh, have a choice to see a psychiatrist or prior to that as well, but also a psychologist. So, And stage three is more going into now the leadership role. How do I give back? You're the office boy. You're the poster boy. Mm. <laughs> you're the face of the ministry. <laughs> you're not allowed to smoke cigarettes at stage three. If you do, you get demoted. And then stage three, then you look at what's your goals, what's your options, uh, whether you want to be a supervisor and work in ministry, you want to study, um, or you want to work. Mm. And then you transition on. And recently I caught up with Mark Johnston, author and speaker and former addict who's done a lot of work with Transformations Rehab. And I asked him to share a bit about how he got a call into ministry in this segment. Let's have a listen. Well, let me, let me just say it like this. Uh, I remember sitting in the seat as yes. a supervisor. Yes. I've done supervision for about six months. So all up, I've done about a year and a half straight of rehab. And I was sitting in the chair and I just lifted up my eyes and I went, you know, Lord, this is ridiculous. Why am I here? I I don't want to be going through this crap all the time. And it's like I had a light bulb moment and he reminded me, he said, so what option would you prefer? <laughs> uh, because you're going to jail for a long time. Would you, would you have preferred to go to jail? I went, actually, I really like this job, Father. Thank you so much. Um, because jail for me means non-existent. It just mm. means you're just buying time. For mm. me, it's vanity. Mm. But here, I found that I could actually work out my journey. Yeah, good. Work out the why factor. How come I do what I do? Mm. Not why do I do what I do? Mm. And so anyway, so i done that. Then I had a break. And then I was a supervisor down, uh, sorry, up Harvey Bay. So I had 20 guys under my care. And it, yeah, yeah, it's hectic. And yes, there's backlash. And it's, they say it's a spit in your face ministry. Um, they say that there's challenges. There's a lot of high burnout. But I loved it. Yeah, good. I love working with people. I love seeing people set free. Mm, great. And the more I educated myself, the more I was able to educate others mm-hmm. and see freedom for them. And then I started a campus in Tweed Heads from scratch. 
that kicked the stuffings out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, nearly burnt out. I was a program coordinator, case manager, and supervisor in one hit. And we got that up and running. And then I had another little break, and then I was a director at the Gold Coast campus for six mm. months. Awesome, mate. And you travel around preaching and sharing your testimony at many churches. Uh, if people want to book you, they can you know, search up your website and uh, find all the links there. And you've done a couple of books. Uh, before we let you go, uh, I always like to ask our guests, what is the gospel? And you know, you're a man who has embraced the gospel and you now share the gospel. Mm. For those who are listening, what is the gospel and how do people respond? For me, you know, to understand the good news, because that's what gospel means. Um, you first have to understand your condition first. You know, the Bible says that through one man's offense, many have sinned. Now, I don't understand that, but that's the way it is. Adam sinned, therefore we all have sinned. So when you're looking at what does the Bible say that we are right now outside of Christ, it says that, you know, the wicked, in Psalms chapter 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. It also says in Psalms chapter 10, verse 4, it says the proud, uh, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And in verse 11, it said he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. And then in verse 13, he says, why did a wicked you know, renounce God? He has said in his heart, right? God has forgotten. And this is the key. Why is it good news? Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That's in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Mm. What is the good news? The good news is the power of God. Mm. The good news is God wants to bring you, like Colossians 1.13 says, out of darkness, and he wants to bring you into the marvelous light. Amen. He wants to set you free from sin's power. He became that sin for you so that you now might become the righteousness of God in him. What, why is it good news? Because it's a gift. You know, if we could work our way to heaven, what was the point of him coming down to the earth, dying on the cross, if we could work our way there? It was an absolute waste of time. So I would say today the good news is that God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son. The good news is all you have to do is believe it. Oh, I can't be that easy. Yes, all you have to do is believe it. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The good news is this is the day of your salvation. That means if you call upon the name of the Lord today, you will be saved. The good news is God's not willing that you would perish, but that you'd come to repentance because he loves you. Mark, would you pray a prayer now for anyone listening that wants to come to Christ? Mm. And if you're listening and, and you've been impacted by this and you want, you want to say, yep, today I want to come to Christ, let's pray this prayer. And if you believe it in your heart, I believe you'll be saved. Let's pray. Amen. Father, I just want to say thank you for every single person that's out there right now. Even if they're alienated, enemies of you, even if they're sneering up their nose and say, well, why should I serve God? And why does these things happen? And, you know, I don't have to do it his way. Well, look, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that that misrepresentation, that distorted image, that experience that they've had that gives you a bad representation. Lord, I'm asking that you would forgive us today, that we ask you, Lord, forgive us of our sin. We know that we've lied. We know that we've cheated. We know that we've stolen. We know that we've done people wrong. We know that we're not perfect. But, Lord, you didn't come for the self-righteous. You came for sinners to come to repentance. You came to seek and save that which was 
lost. And I want to say thank you, Lord, that whoever calls upon you right now, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you right now. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you are God himself. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you right now, come into my heart. Reveal yourself to me. Forgive me of everything that I have ever done. I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for the plan that you have for my life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, I believe that you have been saved and had your sins forgiven. And if you'd like us to send you a Bible and some information about following Jesus, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. We can send you a Bible uh, and uh, we'd love to connect you with Mark as well. Uh, if you'd like to connect with Mark, his website is markcjohnston.com and uh, all the links you'll find at our website, historymakersradio.com. God bless you, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Amen. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.